enough with the partisan bickering. I'm going to give you libertarian solutions to the issues we're facing today. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. So normally I give you the news of the week from a libertarian perspective. But this week I want to really focus on all the big issues, the big headlines, if they were actually addressed from a uh, libertarian uh, ideology, from the principles of libertarianism, which happen to be the founding principles, the enlightenment principles behind this country. So uh, normally I will give you my perspective, but, uh, but people think it's theoretical. In actuality, the principles are very simple. They, are, they led to such great prosperity in this country, much more even wealth distribution in the 19th century. Yet uh, people don't realize how practical and doable it all is. Now, on the other hand, what I don't like to do is offer policy prescriptions that can be shoehorned into this welfare warfare superstructure that we have. So I, I get I have disputes with other libertarians about how to deal with the immigration problem. To the extent you think there's a problem with immigration, uh, you think too many people are coming in, or whatever you think the problems are, these are functions of the policies of the super state. So you're not going to solve them with policies because – the guys who are doing the back office dealing know exactly what they're doing, and uh, and they're not going to solve the problem. But uh, but even if you could actually solve the problem or make it less bad, you know, whatever you think the problem, you know, if you think it lowers w- wages or whatever, even if you could kind of patch it up, uh, introduce a policy fix. I don't really like that because what you're doing is using real economic and moral principles to help along this super state that violates all those principles. And I have a great example of that that I never heard anybody else talk about. So maybe I'm missing something, but I think I think I'm right. When Reagan took office in 1981, he took office. We had just come off this insane period of inflation and unemployment it was just crazy and and it had resulted from if you take the 70s in a package the kind of nixon closing the gold window launched this you can see how the value of the dollar just collapsed after the fed was created in the early 20th century and then when nixon closed the gold window and did some other stuff that messed with price levels so reagan who who I think who did ask the question, like, why do we need the Fed? Why why are things this way? He would have been open to a real profound uh, policy of of moral and economic principle, but instead he and Paul Volcker, who was the Fed appointee of Carter, did manage to rein in inflation by raising interest rates and other stuff that that used the policy tools that they had to fix this problem, but. But what that did was it disconnected the people's understanding of the horrible impact closing the gold window had. Ron Paul actually entered politics. He was a doctor. He entered politics 
when Nixon closed the gold window because he knew how devastating it would be. And actually, uh, our standard of living, the, our purchasing power of our wages as just regular workers in this country has flatlined since then. Because when you use fiat money, when you inflate the money like that, the wages don't go up, but the values, value of the assets go up. So there's more money in the system. Wages go up eventually, but but there's more money in the system to inflate asset values. So a great example is like you're at the gas station. The guy behind the counter makes 10 bucks an hour year in and year out, but you're, the value of the oil, can uh, the gas that you pump can go right through the roof, and you have to pay it, even though you're another guy who makes 10 bucks an hour. So when you look at policy fixes like what Reagan and Volcker did, nobody ever thinks about, you know, nobody seriously looks at the practical implications of closing the gold window because they were effective in their policy fix. So I always go back to the principles. What's the root cause of the problem? What is the libertarian solution to the problem? And uh, this week, what I'm, I want to uh, respond to some of the biggest stories in the news uh, that that I think would not be problems if the if the simple libertarian principles were applied. If you have so Binkley and I, my producer here, we we have compiled some headlines. I'm going to just tick them off, go through them during the show, uh, talk about the issues and what the libertarian solutions are. But if you have issues from the week that you want to know what would be the libertarian solution, give me a call 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. But there was another big story uh, this week, big to me, uh, Zbig, if you will. Zbigniew Brzezinski died. And if you have not heard of him, well, if you listen to my show, you have for sure heard of him. But he, when I say it's us versus them, they are plotting to, you know, control the world or have a world government or whatever. He's them. <laughs> Brzezinski is them. And he had some, you know, his... What he did, what he wrote about, what he talks about, the, he was Carter's national security advisor, but he was much more than that. He was one of the founders of the Trilateral Commission, which is a Rockefeller entity that um, uh, one big thing of his was he commissioned through the Trilats a book called Crisis of Democracy, where a bunch of people from different countries contributed their ideas of how to prevent the kind of civil unrest from the 60s going forward. And some of those people weren't happy with how Brzezinski sold it. He said the conclusion was to make sure, I mean, I'm giving you shorthand here, but you can buy the book, Crisis of Democracy, that if people were all in, uh, belonged to institutions that, that they depended on, where their bread was buttered, that they had no democratic power, they could be kept in line by these institutions like unions, corporations, universities, stuff like that, that that would be a way to kind of disempower the individual. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I, you, it's at the end of the book. When I first started talking about this book, it was like 30 bucks for a used copy. Now it's $300. So I think they're trying to get it off the shelves. Maybe there's a PDF that would be good. But he's done other things. I know, um, I think, Binkley, you've got some tweets there. I think Dean tweeted something good about Brzezinski this morning. Uh, what you got there? Yeah, Dean tweeted that Brzezinski was the father of the refugee crisis. He even admitted that power gained was worth terrorism. Yes. Uh, this is an interesting thing. I wrote an article. I posted it when Brzezinski died. Uh, but the article I wrote a long time ago was a review of a book called Dollars for Terror. And that book was written before 9-11, so it's not like 
it's part of the info, disinfo, truth, anti-truth stuff. It's just completely outside of that. Uh, it pertains to it, but it's before it. it has no political charge in that regard. But it had a quote in there, and it explained that, and this is not denied, that if you saw the movie Charlie Wilson's War, I don't know. I didn't actually see that, but I think it misrepresents what really happened in Afghanistan. People think that uh, you know, Hillary actually testified before Congress, and other people have admitted that the U.S. Uh, radicalized Islam, created the Mujahideen, specifically Osama bin Laden. It was Osama bin Laden's Arabs, I think they called them at the time, to uh, battle, undermine the secular, secular government of Afghanistan, not a religious government. It was a secular government that was aligned with the Soviet Union. So Brzezinski had this radicalized Islam, uh, you know, create problems for this government and provoked the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Now, the way it's sold to us is that Soviets invaded first and we used the Mujahideen to battle them. But that's not true. He said he wanted to mire the Soviet Union in a Vietnam of their own. And I think uh, I have the quote here. It's from the article I wrote, which I put at the top of uh, PropagandaReportDaily.com. It says, Brzezinski said, which is more important from the perspective of world history the Taliban or the fall of the Soviet Empire, a bunch of excited Islamists or the liberation of Central Europe and the end of the Cold War. So he thought it was a fair price to pay. I think that's what Dean is talking about. He thought it was a fair price to pay. But look, I mean, we've got this radical Islam and it's not like our uh, we just stepped back and let you know, we don't have no idea what's going on. We continue to do these kind of influence these these movements in that area, he actually came up with the, you know, you could call it a name, you could call it a handle, but it was really, in my opinion, a plan to have this, um, was an arc of crisis, I think it was, throughout the Middle East to have kind of fires burning there to justify our involvement because he felt that that was kind of the center of Eurasia, which was where all the power in the world truly lied. So he wrote a book, The Grand Chessboard, like that. Uh, that talked about that. So he was quite a character. And if you read everything that he wrote, you would understand that these guys do kind of plan ahead and that what you think is incompetence or happenstance is quite often part of their plan to manipulate the world. And uh, and they do it and and they just sell it to us in the in the the media as if these are just spontaneous problems that we're trying to solve. But they're not. So I recommend that you dig in a little bit to Zbigniew Brzezinski. And I actually wonder who it is who's going to take his place uh, in that grand chessboard behind the scenes or as a marionette, maybe, on, of the puppets. So but I do want to talk about a about some of these libertarian issues. So we'll get to that. Uh, I'll get to my first headline right after the break. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, and you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's 80 degrees outside the studio at 10 on the Mellish Meter. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to take the issues of the week, any headline that you want, and give you the libertarian solution, the real time, what libertarian actual policy, not just theory, would do uh, 
to solve these problems. So I want to start with some headlines. You can call me with yours, 404-872-0750. You can also tell me what you think about uh, what you think the libertarian solutions are to some of the headlines we're bringing out. You can also tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I've got Binkley here. Binkley, we have time for headline. Uh, Go. From WSB, work requirements drop thousands in Georgia from food stamps. Yes, that was a big story. It was uh, able-bodied people with no kids have been kicked off food stamps for not finding jobs. There's a lot there to unpack. I will give you my opinion and the solution after the break, and I'd love to hear yours, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And this is Memorial Day weekend. So a lot of people are headed for the hills or in their cars. We're going to keep you company and take your calls. I want to talk about, I always gave you the libertarian perspective, but today I really want to focus on libertarian solutions to the real problems we're facing today, this week. Anything in the news that worries you, let me know. I'll give you my, my two cents. I've got some headlines. My producer Binkley pulled some headlines for me, so I'm going to take some of those off. And now also take your calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to go to Debbie in Suwanee. Hi, Debbie. You're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. Delighted to be here. I just finished reading the book Big Agenda by David Horowitz, and uh, one of the last chapters was so disturbing as far as certain not-for-profits, 501-3Cs, particularly the Ford Foundation that was set up to help actual causes such as health and those types of things that are being diverted into the uh, democratic agenda. It's illegal, but it's happened. happening. How can we get it to stop? Uh, absolutely. That is a huge issue. And it's been an issue so long that there was a congressional committee called the Reese Commission in the 50s that goal was to see, it was by the House Un-American Activities Committee, to see if tax-exempt foundations were un-American. And their conclusion was, yes, it is. They, they are. And there's a book written about it called Tax, it called Foundations, Their Influence and Power, I think, by Renee Wormser, who was uh, an attorney in charge of that. And then there was also uh, a great, um, there was a great video that G. Edward Griffin did of Norm... Gee, I can't remember his name now. I'll post it at the break where the guy talks about how uh, that he was the researcher for this commission and that he went into or his associate, Catherine Carey or Casey. See, I, I'm not prepared for this, but I, I do remember Catherine Carey, I think, Casey. She went into the Carnegie Foundation's records and found that they were plotting things like wars in order to transform the country from having an individualist outlook to a collectivist outlook. So these tax-exempt foundations have been a problem for a long time. It was actually on my radar, Debbie, so I've kind of been, it's been top of mind to me. And there are two solutions that I can think of. One is, and I'm, I hate taxes. I think taxes should be basically zero. But the tax-exempt, I, I feel like tax-exempt status for these foundations 
should be eliminated. I think that they they get so much more value out of it than they put into it because of that loophole. I feel like the way government corruption, when they hijack the CIA to do operations instead of just collect intel, they are not only putting themselves above the law, they're getting us to pay for uh, some of their agenda items abroad. So there's that. But Norm um, said in that video, or when I did some follow-up research, one of his recommendations was to have this thing called the rule against perpetuities for foundations. So, like, if you leave a will, you can't determine 100 years in the future how your heirs use your property because that's like controlling things from the grave and and you just – there's only limited resources on the earth. It's for the living. These foundations have this intergenerational power because they can – they're like John Rockefeller the first. He was worth, I think, $600 billion in today's dollars when he died. And he set up a foundation with that money and and with ideas of kind of how to control the world going forward for his descendants and all that. And, And it's been very effective. So to make it so that they cannot have these intergenerational mandates would help, I think. But I would start with not allowing them to be tax exempt, which is, you know, would be controversial in libertarian circles, I think. Anyway, so thank you very much for the call, Debbie. Uh, Binkley, what um, we were talking earlier before the break. Re- will you please read me that headline again that you read to me before the break? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> WSB reports work requirements drop thousands in Georgia from food stamps. Yes, this was a um, this was on the radar around uh, Atlanta. The detail was that able-bodied people with no kids were a lot of them kicked off. It was, I think there were 12,000 on on this program getting food stamps who were able-bodied and had no kids, and it went down to 4,500 when this work requirement kicked in. It's a little paradoxical that you you need to work in order to get the food, but it, it points to the assumption that the people are not working because they don't want to work, which may be true, may not be true, Uh, I know these systems are abused. I personally don't have, you know, a lot of outrage about the people who use the food stamps. It's the policy is such a temptation. It's a moral hazard. I mean, if there's something you can get free, it's almost impossible to turn it down. You can justify it in your mind in so many ways, like, well, I got the short end of the stick. You know, I'm a, a victim. You know, that's why the victim mentality folds in. For me, like, I... I've paid a lot of taxes in my life, so I would, you know, I, I, I pay, paid unemployment insurance. When I lost my job, I did, I personally collected unemployment. You know, I wondered about it. I, as Stephen Kinsella would say, the great libertarian thinker, he would say, uh, I found it distasteful, but I did it. So I don't blame them so much. I do blame the policies, and I like to dig into what's the underlying problem here and the underlying assumption. There's 1.7 million Georgians on food stamps. That's that's 17% of the 10 million Georgians are on food stamps, which is about uh, on a par with the rest of the country, which has 44 million people on food stamps. So I look at this, and I think, you know, what is it that makes – you know, is it true 
that human beings can't feed themselves? You know, is that is the state of man, the state of nature that we can't feed ourselves, that like it, it, we're incapable of growing a potato or keeping a chicken alive for eggs? You know, I realize that doesn't sound right in the modern world. If you live in an apartment, you can't keep a chicken. But living in an apartment, having the modern world, that stuff makes our productivity go up. That That's the source of wealth. That's the technology. That's the infrastructure. That's the community that should make us more than just live on a potato and an egg. So there's a disconnect there. And, and I asked the question in going down this path, like, what is it? What, what is the source of the problem where people don't think or actually cannot have access to resources so they can actually feed themselves. So I'm happy to field calls on that or anything else. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Or you could tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. We have a tweet that just came in. Oh, in do response. you? Yeah. What you got? Red Pill tweets, why can't people you know, get food for themselves? Is it, is it the patriarchy? Uh, I don't see any other obvious causes. Yes, I think that is, I would say... That is true. And my actual libertarian solution to this problem would be to repeal all labor laws, to have absolutely no labor laws whatsoever, no minimum wage, no safety stuff, because we have, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't end the practice of tort law. If you are uh, if you harm somebody intentionally or with negligence or if you treat somebody fraudulently or um, deny them a wage you agreed upon, all those things are actual like crimes that you can prosecute. So you, you don't need all these regulations. You just need uh, honest, open hands, uh, arm's length transactions. And if you did that, so, for example, I have a lot of windows in my house, and it's and I would love to have them cleaned all the time. I would I would give someone three meals a day if they would just wash my windows the whole time. I come over in the morning. I would have to be a trustworthy person. I would let them use my shower, you know, if it, <laughs> keep a pleasant environment. Calls are going to flood in. Uh-oh. <laughs> People want the job. But I'm just saying, you know, give somebody a can of soup for washing the windows in your kitchen, you know. But why? why isn't that what happens? Because the government doesn't allow that. You actually could not do that. So there was a bum going through the garbage. I guess hobo. My kids call them hobos. Homeless person. He might not have been homeless, but he... A nature man. He did not look like a nature guy. He had a lot of accoutrements of not nature around him, <laughs> like can, bags of cans and stuff like that. But a, a, he, he said he was... Uh, he said he lost his job and he just, you know, if I wouldn't mind if he went through my garbage. And I was like, no, I don't mind. And I, I just, I gave him some money and I thought to myself, actually, I could have him like break down my cardboard boxes. Like there's stuff he could do around my house. There's a danger factor, I thought, you know, you don't really want to invite them there. But, but you couldn't, like I couldn't just sit there and feed him and let him do stuff around my house because there are all sorts of laws that keep you I wanted to hire like somebody to help me around the house but you have to have like uh workers compensation payroll taxes just to get somebody to help you file all the paperwork is super expensive it's just impossible so it's the policies that I don't even think really protect people but they do limit the workforce uh in that way and then you have the safety net but there's another layer of this that um, people don't think about, but I think it, it might actually be true, 
is you subsidize when you have these these programs you actually subsidize corporations that employ large bodies of labor by lowering the cost of that labor so if they know free public transportation or food stamps or public health is going to allow their workers to show up on time without them having to pay a living wage maybe 20 bucks an hour is what people need but they don't get it because they're still going to survive and come to work because they get food stamps and whatever. So I personally think that a lot of these public services are a way for the middle class to subsidize the lower class working for the upper class. But uh, when you start talking about classes, it makes me nervous because <laughs> it sounds all Marxist, which I am not. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. But classes are created by the privilege, by the government. They're created only by laws. Otherwise, classes don't even exist. The fluidity... We had much less class uh, in the 19th century than we do now. Um, I am going to go to a quick call. I'm going to O.T. and Tucker. Hey, O.T. Uh, yes, ma'am. I wanted to talk to you about this uh, uh, health care thing that I, uh, I think I was wondering why the Republicans, well, I wasn't wondering, I know why, why they didn't say that they were passing a plan aimed at doing away with health care altogether. Ultimately, they wanted to get the government out of out of it completely and out of all entitlements. But, of course, I know they're not going to do it. But the point is they don't even understand the need for it. There should be a complete separation of the economy and of the government, just like You're... church and state, and for the same reason. Uh, for the yeah. same reason? Yeah. Because, because all, the, all the government does is muck it up. The, the, nobody can predict what the market's going to do. Nobody's smart enough. Uh, so you let yes. supply and demand operate. Dude, OT, people, I uh, love what you're saying. i got to take a break, but I'm going to respond to all of it after the break. Thank you. That was awesome. I'll be right back. This is Monica Perez. Give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. 87 is the high today, 65 the low overnight. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And I just got a great call from OT saying that he... What the GOP needs to do is just repeal Obamacare. We were talking a little bit uh, about the libertarian solutions to some of the problems, and I want to get more into this, but I wanted to respond to OT's comments that he said the GOP is obviously not going to do that, which is so totally true. I had this flash of uh, hilarity the other day because watching the GOP fall all over themselves to not repeal Obamacare reminded me of when I was a kid and would watch the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals and the Generals would just literally fall all over themselves to uh, to lose the game and that's exactly what the GOP looks like to me and, uh, and another thing that OT said was the uh, there should be a total separation of the economy and government. Thank you, OT. Thank you. Thank you. Hardly anybody says that anymore. And it's so true and it's so obvious. And he added, because they're just going to muck it up. Why not uh, let the free market pricing mechanism take care of everything? I mean, I just, I love it. I love this guy. So, um, and it's true. The free market pricing mechanism is the source of all surplus wealth in the world. 
because it was that brilliant moment where uh, the first uh, cave economist <laughs> just figured out how to attribute cost to resources. And by figuring out how much things cost, really appreciating the price and value of things, you know how to allocate resources effectively. And it is a Hayek's theory of information that points out that every single individual, 7 billion people on Earth, have their own preferences in mind about how they want to spend their work or what they want to buy or whatever. And by making choices about when and where and what to buy, every time they pull something off the shelf, every time they pump gas, they are providing feedback to the seller of whether they like or do not like or, you know, if they leave something on the shelf. They're providing feedback if they like or do not like uh, that product. And that and that information sets prices correctly. Central control doesn't work. The government can't do it. More on that after this. And your questions, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And we, uh, well, I just heard at the top of the hour in the news that Greg Allman died. I'm sorry to hear that. I actually went to New York to see the Allman Brothers' last shows at the Beacon Theater uh, big fan. Super bummed about that. Uh, so remember him in your prayers. I will. And uh, we are talking about libertarian solutions to the uh, news of the week. So normally I give you my libertarian perspective on the biggest story of the week. But there were a lot of economic and, uh, y- you know, areas where I feel like I'm a hardcore libertarian, and people often kind of challenge me on some of the ways where libertarians and kind of your mainstream conservatives disagree. I think I'm very close to a traditional conservative. It's the it's the neoconservatism that has kind of a broader definition of, of justifiable military action where I start breaking down with people. And there's also some of the kind of civil liberties where people want to legislate social issues rather than just address them in a non, uh, you know, mandatory way. But I usually overlap with the conservative crowd on fiscal and economic issues. And that those there were a lot of those this week. But to have a hardcore libertarian solution to some of these things, like, for example, what the story we led with was a kind of controversy over people getting kicked off of food stamps here in Georgia. And the people who were kicked off were able-bodied people with no kids, and they're required to get a job. If they couldn't get a job, they would lose their food stamps, which is a little paradoxical because you're assuming that they, they could it's within their ability to get a job. I think in the state of nature, it is in the ability of people to work if they want to work. If you, that's why it's so important to have a little piece of land, grow a potato, keep a chicken. Honestly, like if you just think of the basic substitute for a job that you could still eat, it would be that. But in this modern world, we don't, you don't need to resort to that. And I heard Ron Paul say something the other day, which really stuck with me. He said, 
that without government policy, without these privileges and them screwing up the free market, there would be labor shortages, which is true because there's so many things for a human being to do. And so many people would rather just be entrepreneurial and start their own business, even if they make a lot less money than going to work for somebody else. And that kind of thing, it's called a race to the bottom, and it takes the profit right out of big corporations. So what do the corporations do? They lobby or pull strings behind the scenes for regulations. You think, you know, they complain about it and they don't like some of them. But a lot of them, or maybe tax benefits that that go to specific companies for specific reasons, these are these are ways that they make these the little guy uncompetitive. And that takes these entrepreneurial mom and pop capitalists out of uh, out of the mix. Didn't John D. Rockefeller say competition is a sin? So I think the reason people aren't feeding themselves is that there are so many things that are wrong with the labor market. So I would repeal all labor laws, not laws of tort, not where people get hurt. Um, you can sue for that. Or if you don't get paid a fair, you know, the, the wage you agree to. Yes, these are crimes, deceptions. But the the labor laws, I think, increase unemployment and create this need for uh, a safety net for able-bodied people that you wouldn't otherwise have. Let's get to some calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Charles in Atlanta. Hi, Charles. You're yes, on with Monica. Hi, hi, Monica. Your show is the grand prize for so many of us. Uh, my comment is um, I think the real blasphemy is military spending. We, we spend so much money on bombs and bullets and more guns. And I think that the, we talk about welfare, and that really is a drop in the bucket. Um, my sympathy goes out to uh, the person who is illiterate and can't get a job and who, who just is, is just who, who lives in the 21st century, and they really have a tough time. And I think welfare has a definite purpose in America until we can fix this problem of militarism and just spending uh, wicked, wicked amounts of money for more guns and more bombs and more bullets. Thank well, you. Yeah, Charles, I, I have a comment about that, which is I've, I've looked at this before. Let's say we spend like all in. It doesn't maybe doesn't call it the defense budget exactly, but let's say it's a trillion dollars a mm -hmm. year. Right. That that's the equivalent of every other country on Earth put together. Their Absolutely. defense budgets. Okay, so who are you fighting? Everybody in the whole world would have to get together and fight us, and, and they're all disjointed anyway. They would have to, like, get together and invent a rail gun. You know, like, they would have to get together and do this crazy stuff, which they're not doing. So I, I just, like, took some different statistics and kind of thought uh, uh, I, our first ten enemies and maybe our next ten allies each, if you push them together— I think I came up with like $300 billion a year, each of them. So if we spent $300 billion, we would double our allies' budget, and it would be double our enemies' budget. Because, right. yeah, okay. So Can I add one thing? Yeah. In Vietnam, the cost to kill one Vietnamese soldier was $333,000. That's mind-blowing. I'm, okay. I'm sure there's a lot that went into that that wasn't about just killing Vietnamese soldiers. You know? Right. No, but I'm just saying, one soldier, the cause, the final cause... Yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And that's what, we, that's what we do. 
Yeah, it's insane because there's no the person who's spending that money making those decisions doesn't own it. But the point I wanted to make how it connects to welfare is so I you reduce I, I think of all so that other seven hundred billion that we spend is really just this transfer of wealth to the military industrial complex. It's not truly in our defense. Then you have it's not uh, you have I'll, I'll I'll give all the governments of this country the the right or whatever. I'll let them do all public goods. I don't like it, but let's just say for the purposes of this analysis, I think it's one point five trillion in public goods. Mm-hmm. So everything else, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, even public schooling is basically a wealth transfer from people who pay ta- who are the net taxpayers to the net tax recipients. Are you, can you follow what I'm saying? So so the government, if they just spent if if all the money they spend on on wealth transfer from cronyism to Social Security, that comes out to be like five trillion dollars, something like that. Wow. It's crazy. I, if you could really do the math. And, and then I looked at how many people are there in this country. You could actually take that money and write every man, woman and child in the lower half of uh, the economy of earnings. A check for thirty thousand after tax dollars a year. My so you head could, is you could, right now. you know, and then they could pay for their schooling. They could pay for their um, annuity to retire. Like you. So the point I'm saying is, all the money we spend on these programs, the fact that there is anybody hungry or in poverty, means that we don't actually mean to solve those problems. I almost feel like the high taxation and doling it out to people like that is meant to maintain the problem, to keep poverty with us, because it would just go away any way you slice it. Hand the money out, redistribute it, let people keep it, and and have a flourishing economy any way you slice it. You would have a better scenario. Uh, uh, Fewer people would be at that lowest level who you are worried about, which I don't blame you, because I believe it's the government itself that is keeping this social structure in place. And all those people suffer. And they suffer morally. They suffer physically. Uh-huh. So <laughs> yeah. that was quite a rant, Charles. I hope it's it was. It's a trend not to work, basically. I, yes, it's a, and it's a shame to those people. They don't, you know, you set up a system where it's it's less profitable for them to work. It's less profitable for them to marry the father of their children. Wow. Yeah. You know, that destroyed inner city communities when they went and deliberately targeted, I believe it was African-Americans in the inner cities in the 60s -hmm. uh, with welfare because it was stigmatized. They had a stigma against it. They had like a 90 something percent you know, marriage rate. Children were not born into single family. And then they they managed to break through who can turn down something. For nothing, especially when yeah. they're just, you know, beaten, yeah. and then and then the dads have to move out or they don't get the money. Well, Monica, I love your show. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much, Charles. I, sometimes I feel bad when I go off on a rant. Binkley, was that was that decipherable? Do you think that? <laughs> My head was spinning. Also, are you kidding? Don't no, say that. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to keep it keep it simple. But, it was enthralling. Uh, but these economic ideas. My point, if I can distill it, is that we need to just look at what we're spending, what's causing the problems, what our real goals are. And if you can simply, on the back of an envelope, figure out an answer, whether it's um, take that $5 trillion and write everybody a check, which I do not approve of, by the way. That's that (laughs) basic income idea. Let's talk about that. There was something in the news this week that had people... 
uh, tweeting like crazy, if I recall correctly. Let's get to that. Um, hang on, Terry. Hang on, Alan. Um, and we're going to get to that. Let's do. Let's take some calls after the break and get to that headline at the bottom of the hour. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Partly cloudy with isolated storms tomorrow, high of 87. And we are talking about libertarian solutions to the problems of the week. And I was talking about food stamps and uh, all that that implies. Let me go to Terry in Atlanta. Terry, you're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. Hi, Terry. Uh, first of all, Monica, let me just say, generally speaking, I think our government sets us up to be dependent on them. Um, on a basic level, when it comes to food stamps, I, I, my question is, why did it take them so long to, to boot them off? I think they should limit and or restrict what people can purchase with their food stamps. And I'm sure they do that to some degree. But personally, I think... If you're not buying things like meat, fruit, vegetables, dairy, you know, milk, cereals, then you shouldn't be using your food stamp card. You should be able to buy candy, cookies, ice cream, and you forget they're buying tobacco products. Hopefully they don't allow that or alcohol. But I just think that, you know, for people who are caught abusing the food stamp program, first of all, they should be automatically kicked off the program and never be allowed to be on the program again, then they put them on the food stamp program, especially able-bodied adults with no children or no dependents, uh, you should do a time limit. Yeah, yeah. let me tell you, Terry, something that might um, help you understand, because I've seen that before, like they should not be able to buy all that stuff, and I, I kind of agree. I've watched a couple of times, but it's just such a bummer. I can't really watch it, but there's a show called My 600-Pound Life. And these people can't walk out of their houses. So other people bring them food, but who's paying for it? I'm certain that, that, they, that they get disability and food stamps or whatever. It's like a moral hazard to uh, help people buy that stuff. I understand it's a more complicated issue. I do understand that. But a very telling thing is that the food stamps program is part of the agriculture bill. It's a, it's a farm subsidy. So, like, people don't like that soda is, you can buy soda with food stamps. Maybe they changed that, but it was quite controversial for a while. But soda is made of corn syrup, which is a huge, you know, big ag product here in this country. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, yes. so they want them to buy it. It's really not about helping people. And another thing is, my son has Down syndrome, and my mother is 88. And both of them can add value in my house. My son does the dishes. My, my mom will can sit on the couch with him and watch TV. I give him a couple of bucks for that. People could conceivably work at any level. You know, to be truly disabled, truly not be able to work is a very, uh, very small proportion. But these are people who are even able-bodied. So there is a problem. There's a failure here. And, uh, and it's worth exploring. But that Zuckerberg headline, we got to get to that next. Uh, 800 WSB Talk. Tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. 
am the Libertarian Voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6. And today I'm actually giving you the Libertarian solutions to all the problems that I would say the government creates so that the government can solve them. I mean, that's how devious I think it all is. I can't tell you. Uh, but we've got tweets, we've got headlines. Binkley's going to throw some, my producer Binkley's here, he's going to throw some headlines at me, and I'm going to tell you uh, what I think the libertarian solutions to these problems are. You can call with your own issues from the week or uh, current issues that you want to know the answer to, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. So, Binkley, what do we got? Where are we? Well, we have a tweet from Richard. He says... Could you please explain the race to the bottom in entrepreneurship and compare it to what Zuckerberg said to be is, compared to what Zuckerberg said? Because some people on the left might confuse the two. Okay. Um, before the break, uh, I said a lot of things that could easily be confused. I just throw all my libertarian. Uh, you know, epiphanies, my aha moments out there, because I just think about this stuff super hard. But sometimes it takes a couple of I got to piece it out, parse it out a little bit <clears throat> so it's easier to understand in pieces. So one of the things but this is not an original concept on my part, but just to take one of the things in the tweet. The race to the bottom is this. Like you go, I was an economics undergrad at Harvard. I have a Stanford business degree and law degree. I'm a chartered financial analyst. Not blow my own horn. I'm just saying I have like mainstream credentials that lay out these uh, commonly accepted economic premises, many of which are libertarian in nature. And I remember when I went to Harvard, my father's like, you go to Harvard and you're going to be a socialist, blah, blah, blah. He objected to my going to Harvard. Isn't that funny? (laughs) So I, but when I got there and I took economics, they talked about how rent control reduces the housing available because people won't rent out there, but they'd sooner keep a second home for a vacation rather than renting it out if they can't get um, enough money for it, you know, stuff like that. It's just very basic economics that they would explain and then just say for social reasons, we accept this, what's called deadweight loss. But they recognize the basic economic premises, and this idea of race to the bottom is that if you're, uh, if you're making profits in your company, and it's more profit than you could make anywhere else. Other people will enter your industry until the profits you make there are actually, it's called economic zero, economic zero profits, which is you can only get a return that, that justly compensates you for capital and labor that you contribute. Because if it unjustly compensates you, if it compensates you more than you're actually uh adding value by your ideas or your sweater or whatever other people will enter and because they want those outsized returns and then your industry gets crowded and there's a race to this economic zero which is why i think like in the state of nature the state of true capitalism the only time you get like multi-billionaires is somebody who really brought something new and captured those profits like a new technology a new way of doing business a better insight um, into a new business where where things haven't been ironed out yet and other people can't just enter, copy, whatever. So there's this idea that, and then you'd have, if you, if in an, in the state of like free capitalism, it really comes down to, you would have more kind of mom and pop entrepreneurship. You would have people entering businesses uh, as they could. They could just, 
enter a business and and uh, you know big co- corporations couldn't really dominate anything that it doesn't require a big corporation to deliver so you know like mcdonald's you would get a lot more competition from a guy with a, a hamburger stand if there weren't regulations and other like artificial barriers to this race to the bottom but i was also talking about the the idea that if that that all these government programs that redistribute wealth it they are they are on their face they are inefficient it is it is clear from the you don't even have to do much math just a little to see that they are not the best solution to poverty or want or anything that these these defined health or housing or food stamps or anything if you take basically all the stuff the government does to try to help you and you fold in all the bs they dole out to defense companies that don't help us you know defend ourselves probably uh, promote antagonizing other countries just to sell more bombs i don't know but if you take all that money you can uh and just gave it to people they would be way, 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 they would be middle class, more than middle class. Actually, $30,000, I, I did the math, and it, it, it would be like a $30,000 check to everybody in the bottom half of society or a $15,000 check to every single person in society. But, of course, I hate that idea because I don't want to redistribute wealth. It's immoral. It's wrong. It makes no sense. And ultimately, it is a subsidy for the... In big corporations who already have the market locked up, they, the last thing they want is to have to pay for labor. So what if they can get people, you know, if they're starving people, people are going to move out. If you don't pay enough in Silicon Valley, people are going to move out. Which So he was talking about, that tweet was about the Zuckerberg um, controversy. Don't, don't we have an article about that? Do you have a headline for yeah, me? Yeah, we do. The headline is, Mark Zuckerberg joins Silicon Valley bigwigs in calling for government to give everybody free money. <laughs> yes, I actually I think I didn't read that article, although I heard what he was saying is this basic income payment. But I did read an article in The Wall Street Journal this week that talked about uh, Charles Murray, uh, a writer who wrote like um, some controversial book or a book that says like, uh, shoot, I think I have it. He He was there was a controversy at Middlebury College this week where this guy, Charles Murray, was protested against by the students and it says well he was uh it says um it was a high profile demonstration against a conservative speaker goes on to describe this guy charles murray as a uh libertarian but actually the protest was because he wrote a book about like white america or something and their sign said no eugenics so the article had nothing to do with the actual problem but this guy the protest, but Charles Murray was described in the article as a libertarian. But the last time he wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, it was about this basic income payment. So these guys are saying that everybody should get a basic income payment. And and Zuckerberg has before been a self-serving guy in that he also lobbies for these H-1B visas, which means that his labor costs will go down. Those guys have also, I think Zuckerberg, but in general, the Silicon Valley guys, have been uh, exposed for having colluded among themselves to keep wages down, which I know big business does. I know big universities do it. They talk about who they're going to admit, who they're not going to admit. They collude. And I actually don't even mind collusion unless there are policies that keep these oligopolies 
you know, these these corporations from getting any competition so that they control the entire industry. So if you're a gifted computer guy, you can't start your own business up with ease. These guys have it all sewn up and then they collude to keep your your wage down. That I do not like. But they they this is a very self serving policy. And and what happens is uh people don't really wanna wanna work and it's not it, it came from a I think it came from this idea in the, in England where the aristocracy had the whole um all the land sewn up and they they would rent their property out with 99 year leases so it would return to their families but here we don't have that problem like you know an heir and his money are soon parted if you just have free markets there is a kind of more uh, even distribution of wealth but what the silicon valley guys are saying and charles murray says and this is the thing that's pushing basic income payments is that automation of jobs is creating unemployment but that is an impossible uh, scenario, and I'll tell you why. It's impossible in the state of natural capitalism because a company will only invest in technology and capital when the cost of labor gets high. So it doesn't invest in capital and then create unemployment. It invests in capital because the cost of employing people is too high, and that happens when there are labor shortages. So how is it happening now and creating uh, labor surpluses? Because the government spends money on research, subsidizes technology that gets people unemployed. So this Uber phenomenon I've been watching for a while. Before anyone realized that Uber's secret plot was to introduce driverless cars to this country and separate us from our uh, American style independence that uh, this this the Department of Defense brought back these sensors you know they said they developed these sensors in the pursuit of these Middle Eastern wars they develop they they subsidize universities to develop technology a lot of the driverless sensor stuff came from um, MIT from competition set up by the government. So the government is fostering, subsidizing industry to have these technologies that displace people. So Uber seems great. It's the perfect gig economy. It's the answer to unemployment that you could just pick up a job. It's the answer to food stamps. It's the answer to everything. You should have gig massages. You know, people come over to your house and give you a massage, you know. It's just, it would be fine. It would, it's a great way to have superfluidity in labor. But when they start reducing, when they introduce these technologies that would never, ever have been developed by the private industry, they artificially take away jobs en masse. They will go into an industry and systematically replace, you know, like um, uh, an iPad to the extent that technology is a, a subsidized technology. If McDonald's doesn't can't pay the minimum wage of, you know, $15 an hour in some places now, they replace it with iPads. So what happened? The government raises the wage, and but subsidizes technology. This creates this massive unemployment. And now these guys, instead of pointing that out, are demanding or suggesting from their compassionate point of view basic income, which just justifies their um, paying people less than they could really than they need to live in the places where uh, these guys hire labor. So 
again, when we get into the libertarian stuff, uh, I can't help but going deep. But Alan, I'm going to take a quick break. Then Alan's going to introduce the next topic I'm going to uh, offer this libertarian solution for. So hang on, Alan. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. 81 and sunny outside the studio. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And I am telling you what I think about uh, the libertarian solutions for the problems this, that we face in real time today. Alan and Marietta, you are on with Monica. Hi, Alan. Hi there. So what's the libertarian view on repairing the infrastructure in America? I mean, the highways, the electrical system, does the power companies pay for that? Uh, Savannah's having a hard time getting the harbor dredged out because they lost federal funding. Do the feds pay for the harbors? Uh, well, who should pay for the, the harbor, in your opinion? Who should pay for it? Honestly, if, if it's used by Georgia and South Carolina, they should pay for it. No, but, it's like, why not, why not charge the ships? That'd be a good idea, too. Docking fee. Yeah, so I feel like with all, I actually think infrastructure spending is a globalist plot. Well, I feel, you know, another solution yeah. for it is you could actually take these people on welfare and food stamps and offer the jobs to them. And put them to work, but then you've got, it was actually, my grandfather said that the he predicted, like 100 years ago or whatever, that the unions would destroy the dock industry. It used to be the majority of ships in the entire world went through U.S. docks, and the unions priced out the labor so high that the ships kept coming. Then I read something that said the unions betrayed the workers in favor of, uh, by justifying, by rising the wages so much they could blame the workers for the shipbuilders going to the automation, going to cranes and stuff, that, that it was even like a double plot. Uh, but go ahead, well, you got keep going. I, I, I agree with that. I, one time I was a truck driver, and I had to go to New York Harbors one time. I called my dispatcher and said, if you ever sent me back to there again, I would quit. Oh, I yeah. Mean, before, before, it's a nightmare. From the time I got to the gate, so I got my load and picked it up, it cost me $720. Well, it but... It reinforced me, but yeah. it still just cost that much just to get the, the container off the dock. Now, I would actually not have a problem with that if that's how much it costs. And, and if you think about it... If it costs that much to get stuff from China, you know, crappy Barbie stuff from China to your kid, you know, under your Christmas tree, if it really costs that much, why do you want to not pay that fee and remove it to the taxpayer, which subsidizes it? Even just roads subsidize things from outside of your community coming into your community. A, A trade. Free trade is totally fine, but if you if you didn't subsidize infrastructure, trade would skew local. You would you would do you would do things locally. I'm going to expand on that after the break. And Binkley's going to read to me the best tweet I ever got. 800 WSB Talk. You can tweet to me at Monica Perez Show. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please. Open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. 
is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And I hope you're having a great Saturday. I'm sure the lakes are crowded. Everybody's having some fun. I love that. I do take Memorial Day very seriously. It's very heartbreaking to think of all the people who died that in that terrible war. Uh, but it was deliberately, from what I read, deliberately established at the beginning of the summer to uh, to cheer people up so that it wouldn't be too sad a memory because it was so traumatic for the country, north and south. So remember that. Um, and to further cheer us up, uh, uh, Binkley has a great tweet for me. First, I want to throw out the number. I'm talking about anything that uh, I want to give libertarian solutions to the problems we are facing today. So anything in the news that you want to know the answer to or want to give me the answer to, I'm open to it, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Alan called before the break, wanted to talk about, you know, but who would pay for the roads, the infrastructure? I've got a lot to say about that, and I am going to get to that. But first, uh, Binkley at, at one of the breaks just the break before this said, uh, read me a tweet that I wish he had surprised me with on the air because it was super fun. Um, and, uh, and I got it right. So, (laughs) but I'm going to still, I I'll just, uh, throw that out there. So Binkley, what's, what's that great tweet? Johnny Cook tweeted this, and he said they used to have a congressional baseball game between the GOP and the Democrats. And he's right. It started in, I believe, 1909, and it's still going on. And he asked, who is the person to hit the first over-the-fence home run in the game's history? And you got it correct. Yeah. So I just uh, I sat back and thought I didn't think it had anything to do with me or my preferences or anything. I, I thought at first it was sentence, but then I remembered who was the most athletic congressman? First, I thought John Glenn, but he was a senator, and he was an astronaut. I don't know how athletic he has to be to be an astronaut. And I thought, <laughs> who was the most athletic congressman I ever heard of? And it was Ron Paul. That's right. And that was the guy. So Ron Paul, people don't realize, I think he was not only a baseball star, I think he had maybe other athletic achievements, but he was... Uh, a great baseball player in college. He was a doctor. He signed up. I don't think even he was drafted. I think he went twice to Vietnam. What was it that where he went? He, uh, yeah, he was. He's a solid citizen. That guy, and I uh, gave up all his uh, wonderful gifts to to uh, trudge around in the swamp. And he did it. <laughs> he did it in response to Nixon closing the gold window. A Republican, by the way. So you you got to remember. The partisanship uh, is is what the swamp is actually made of. So I want to do. I do want to get to a call before we launch into our next headline. I'm going to Adam in Gainesville. Hi, Adam. You're on with Monica. Hello, Monica. It's nice to speak to you. I've been listening to you for a little while. I wanted to get your opinion um, because, well, first of all, I'm trying to formulate my opinion of what kind of what type of a political view I truly have. I voted for Trump. I feel like I may have a conservative view. I may lean that way, but I also have a lot of libertarian views as well. I agree with you a lot. Sometimes I disagree. <laughs> That's but always also, true. But the, the subject of matter that we're speaking of at the moment, uh, it, it reminded me of an issue, of an opinion I've got, and that is that I believe at its root that foreign aid is designed to disable an economy. 
And if you would like for me to expand on that, I can. Uh, yeah, give it to I me. Have... In a nu- I have opinions on that, too, and uh, some support for your theory. Give it to me in a nutshell, like one or two sentences if you can, and okay, then we'll keep talking. I've got a couple of friends who are in a missionary. They go down to El Salvador every year. They dig latrine holes for them. They bring food down there to them. Why can't they grow their own food? Why can't they dig their own, you know, latrine holes? Uh, I mean, why in the world are we doing this for them? And I believe it's because it's designed to keep them from doing it for themselves so that they become dependent on the foreign aid so that they can't they, so it'll ruin their economy so they won't have a farming economy and so they won't have a construction economy well, yeah i have a couple of america i have a couple of points um data points for you or whatever um anecdotes for you that'll support that one is a book i spent a lot of money on sometimes these highly academic books oh my gosh they they break the bank you really gotta watch the price it's called africa unchained and of all people i heard bono promoting it who is like uh uber liberal or like he's a communist basically Mm -hmm. i think maybe i'm wrong but and he said that he talked to this african professor i think it was who wrote this book and the guy said just stop with the foreign aid what it does is it brings in money that only the politically connected really access, and that crowds out the mom-and-pop entrepreneurs who just want to scratch out a living by selling conch on the beach, or I guess that would be Caribbean. But, you know, they just they crowd that out, and, and so it is actually bad. And then if you hear some African would-be entrepreneurs who've come to this country, they say that the corruption, and, and maybe it's related to that, the fact that these entrenched interests are the ones who are getting all the money, they make sure that there are licensing and regulations and everything that make it really impossible for somebody to just scratch out a living the hard way to build up a business. You actually have to start out with money, and who's getting money? The foreign aid. <laughs> then I had one more thing that really opened my eyes. I was in an Uber not too long ago. You get the best best information from uber drivers the guy was ethiopian and i said whoa you know i remember when i was a little kid the ethiopian famine you know like flies were landing on babies eyeballs and they weren't even blinking you know like those 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 crazy ads that you saw just like broke your heart and all that and he said yeah that was totally exaggerated which i was like what so I guess there might have been a famine, whatever, but he said it was exaggerated. And what they did was it created this whole like industry in Ethiopia for all this aid. And what happens is the Americans come, they set up shop and they don't. This is what he said. Now, I haven't verified it, but he said they don't aid you. They don't aid people at all. What they do is they find locals who are willing to act for them in lobbying or promoting American policies or whatever the policies that that America wants that country to adopt, those are the people they finance with this aid. So so it just, it's simply a subversive way. And then I also read a statistic that, uh, that our foreign aid to other countries makes our popularity go backwards. So at, like if you look at a statistic of like world opinion of the U.S. versus mm-hmm. how much foreign aid we've given, it's like across lines. Like as we give more aid, people hate us more, which it, is not probably not an accident. It, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, your your turn, Adam. Believe it or not, you oh, do get another you. turn. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, while you were saying that, it, it actually made me think: Why in the world do they hate us in other countries? And also, why in the world would there be these 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 uh, militia groups that just spring up out of nowhere out of these countries? And I believe the why, the reason why they're stealing these airdrop foods 
and all this uh, aid. And why they're running off the aid is because they're doing it as a patriotic act on behalf of their country because they love their country. Or we're supporting the warlords. Or that we support some of those factions. Think of the rebels that we've supported over the years. You don't, we call them anti-communist, but who knows if they were just, you know, maybe not even in Africa, but like when we did it in South America, they were, they might've been bad guys, you know, what do we know? Wow, that actually explains a lot because I was thinking, why these revolutionaries that spring up in these pods only in the other countries, why in the world are they, why in the world are they stealing the food from their own people? Yes. And yes. the only reason why they would be stealing their own food, in my opinion, in my mind, the only way I can deduce this to make any sense is because why would I do it? It would be because I love my family, I love my country, I love my people. And if I would steal their food, I'd have to have a reason for it. And the yep. reason would be because it's stealing their ability to make their own livelihood. Or, or maybe they they feel that the what's coming in is hostile. So, like when you look at Egypt and maybe Israel too, but like some of the aid we give, I know to Egypt, we give it in the form of like vouchers for military equipment. It's it's you know it's not actually even money or food or anything. It's you're giving them vouchers for military equipment, uh, and or, or they yeah, it's like that and. And their military, they use against their own people. So it's they don't have it like we have where they can't turn it in. They they turn it in. When Morsi, the democratically elected leader, like him or not, who's Muslim Brotherhood, and I think we did support him for a while, in Egypt when, when he wasn't doing what we wanted or whatever, Susan Rice, her first act as, I guess she was National Security Advisor, her first act was to trigger that coup. There was a tweet or something came out of a meeting that said, you know, Aunt Susan says go, something crazy like that. I did a whole show on it at the time. But then Cece came in, and he uh, killed a lot of people who resented having a coup, a military coup to replace a democratic government. And we give Cece the arms to suppress those people. So if at the same time we're trying to give them food to win over the hearts and minds, maybe they're like, you know what, just get out. Because we have the Suez Canal, and we could just live without you, you know? So they, they it's, uh, that opens a whole nother can of worms. I think we're going to have to wait on that. So we do have a little bit, uh, another headline. And then at the bottom of the hour, Binkley did some research on John Ossoff, which went totally deep state. I thought that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. So way to make the District 6 election not only national, but kind of global Thank you, Binkley. So we'll get to that at the end, uh, at the bottom of the hour. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Hi, today of 87. Tomorrow's high is also 87. The weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And this is my favorite time of the show because I have a weekend prize pack. Uh, a pair of tickets to see Paul Simon on June 2nd at Chastain Park Amphitheater and a pair of Saturday tasting tent tickets to the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival June 1st to 4th at Piedmont Park's Promenade. First to call 404-7410-750 gets that prize pack. And uh, we are teeing up some... I'm going to say some deep state stuff about the District 6 race, which I think voting starts. Um, Binkley's going to help me with this. I think voting starts 
I think you can do early voting on Tuesday, and then the election is June 20th. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then the uh, I did post on my Facebook page, you've heard before, Garland Favorito. He does VoterGA.org. He really just cares about uh, integrity in the voting process and other kind of laws and procedures. And he holds – it's really awesome. Like there was a recent – battle that I think he led against permanent toll roads on um, in Georgia. Just a lot of stuff that he does. I don't even really actually know his political affiliation. He just holds the feet to the fire the way uh, people should. I really admire him. And um, he knows a lot about voting. So I reposted something that he had posted on the Facebook page for VoterGA.org about uh how to the bet the best way to have your vote counted i thought he said was paper ballots um and early voting so if you want to check that out on his facebook or mine um but this is the big runoff between john ossoff and karen handel it's a national race because um well the hashtag on twitter is flip the sixth and for me in my opinion it's it's part of this effort, especially in the South, to flip red states or red counties, whatever, blue. That that I've, I've I feared that the whole meaning of Trump was to spur a massive backlash, and that what we're seeing in these congressional races represents that. But there is some overlap between Trump and Ossoff, and that's infrastructure, which is what we were talking about earlier. And we're gonna. Um, Talk a little bit about that and other stuff Binkley dug up about Ossoff, which I think, um, you know, whether you like him or not, it's kind of intriguing. So let's get into that after the break. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. And usually that means I can rise above partisanship. Um, That's not always a totally cheerful or productive thing to do because it's not like, oh, this time I like Democrats, this time I like Republicans. I never like Democrats, and I rarely like Republicans. So it's usually pretty negative. But today I did try very hard to offer libertarian solutions to the problems of the day, and I can do that because I do not feel compelled to support one party or another lest the other party win. They're both uh, out for themselves, and I, they do not really work for us, although I do want to try to hold their feet to the fire when I can. Um, and for me, I'm always looking for the kind of deeper uh, machinations that are happening behind what we're seeing. So uh, with Trump, there was something, you know, I had a lot of reasons. If you listen to my show, you've heard them all a thousand times, so I won't go back over it. But that I just felt like this guy was not what he appeared to be, that there's some he's serving some other purpose. And uh, and one of the possibilities in my mind is that he is there to create a backlash, to create a reaction that globalism was actually losing steam and especially in Europe. But if he could get people scared like Nazis were coming back or something. I don't think he's a Nazi. I totally am not of that mind at all, but I just like the way he is framed in the media. 
might scare people into wanting a world government or something. You know, it's just a thought. And a part of that theory would be, and maybe it wasn't a plot, but just the opportunity the Democrats see of how valuable it is to absolutely hate somebody that maybe they could turn red states blue and i feel like the south has been absolutely in the crosshairs i think the confederate flag thing and taking these these um statues down was a plot from the beginning uh, i'm not a racist i don't I, I don't look at it that way i just think that the whole point of it was to uh kind of neuter the history of the south um and that they are. I, I noticed North Carolina was squarely in the crosshairs. That they continue to be in the news, um, and that the point of it all is to get what really is, you know, kind of the last geographic bastion of Republicanism to to turn Democrat, either in one fell swoop or little by little. So the sixth district, where Tom Price went to be the uh, Health and Human Services head in D.C., he left open this position where. Now, it's a battle between John Ossoff and Karen Handel, who um, emerged from the first election as the two for the runoff on June 20th. Uh, so the whole country, it seems like Democrats, have been converging on, on Georgia to get John Ossoff elected. Celebrities, people who are definitely not living in the 6th District. Ossoff doesn't even live in the 6th District, I think. So... Binkley, who has a particular, my producer here, has a particular knack... I, I find the deep state stuff, you know, at the uh, global level. I mean, if there are aliens, you know, lizard people, I'll probably <laughs> discover them eventually. But Binkley likes to dig into the local stuff so he can find deep state connections. I do like the U.N. Kasim Reed connections in Atlanta. I have dug into some of that stuff myself. But Binkley found some stuff on Ossoff that I hadn't I didn't know about. And I think what he came up with really makes me think that the impression this guy is giving this this liberal left hero the savior <laughs> is is completely misleading like it's the opposite of what's really going on so binkley why don't you give us some of the little things that you found that you think are significant in understanding uh you know the true nature of this campaign if it's really reflective of who this guy is and what we can expect from him tell me okay there are so many i've only oh, selected so five here i've selected yeah. five right. claims and the reality so i haven't heard them all but i'll uh, give me what you got right. the first one the first claim is that john ossoff is a small business owner an executive and an entrepreneur an investigative filmmaker who exposes corruption he knows what it means to grow a company and payroll and budgets and stuff given the perception that he He's overcome the struggles of entrepreneurship and succeeded, right? Okay, yeah, but let me just say, uh, even when I look at Jared Kushner, he's like, oh, trusted advisor, you know, real estate mogul from New York. You're like, really? I mean, it's just looking at your face makes that hard to believe because they're too young. They're too young. So Exactly. So it always smelled a little funny to me uh, anyway. So tell me what you what – you, so, so the bottom line, what you're saying is he is being represented as a small business guy, an entrepreneur – and uh, and what do you what do you think instead? Well, the reality is that when he graduated the London School from the London School of Economics in 2013, that very same year, he became the managing partner and CEO of Insight, a documentary film company. So he immediately became the CEO of this company. Okay, listen, I have a question. First of all, LSE, the London School of Economics, is 
the it's like the dark hole of the deep state. Yeah. It's where George Soros learned how to manipulate the world. And I think they gave him the keys to make a lot of money so he could manipulate the world, not teaching him how to make, but get him to make the money. So LSE always throws up a flag. So this guy went to LSE. So did his mom. Another fun fact. Okay, so did his mom. So he's a legacy LSE, but yeah. this is a local guy, right? Well, you know, technically he's a local guy. Technically, okay. Right. So his accent, the way he speaks seems right to you. He didn't have to unlearn it, you know, like well, yeah. to learn how to speak American. Um, so what is this Insight company that he became the CEO of day one? of a, Was it an existing company? It, it was a company that was already established, I- existing, and successful, having won many Emmys that had been around since 1991. And he became the CEO day the day he joined, he was the CEO. Right after he Had he, he ever been a CEO before? No, he had, he had not been a CEO before, to my knowledge. And was he in the film business? No, as far as I know, he didn't study any film in between all of that knowledge, all of that information at uh, the London School of Economics, but he okay. immediately becomes a grungy filmmaker, apparently. Okay, all what right. So, and out, it was it documentary films? Is that what you said? Yes, documentary films exposing corruption. Now, that I had heard that he was a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And for me, you know, anybody who has seen Michael Moore's films or any of that, when I hear documentary filmmaker, and, I, and I'm always skewed, like if it's from the left, I'm just like, propaganda. Right. If it's from the right, I'm like, really? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm wrong about that. Like, honestly, like I, I it's it's on both sides for sure. But I just have such I, I just want to believe the lies that appeal to me that yeah, I, yeah. I do turn to the right and think that they have maybe have some merit. <laughs> but the ones on the left, it's like complete, complete, uh, total propaganda. Yeah. Okay. So as opposed to. Being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur that built a business, he bought ownership into this already established and successful company. He bought 50% ownership with the inheritance that he got from his grandfather. So he hadn't made money as an entrepreneur and then rolled it over into this company. No. Like the, the way like a tech guy might buy a winery. Right. No. Okay. He just bought it. With Called the himself the boss. Gave him. Fair enough. Yeah. So that, that's his... That's his uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I can relate and help build build business in it. See, I, I would make that kind of argument. Uh, a, you know, I would not make that argument. But people have made that argument about Trump. But he legitimately expanded his fo- – well, I wouldn't say legitimately. I think there's a lot of politics and back office stuff. But I'm just saying, like, whatever the wheeling and dealing it took to be a real estate guy in New York, Trump definitely was that. Yeah, this guy bought an Emmy award-winning company <laughs> okay. already. And then put the Emmy on his Yeah, desk. and then said he was an entrepreneur. <laughs> Puts the Emmy in the commercial. Right. Okay. So, all right. The, the next claim also associated with his company is that, um, you know, is that his experience is going to help create jobs in Atlanta because of this experience he has uh, growing this company, you know. But the problem is – Did he – sorry, I, you probably don't know this, but if you interview people for, like, big jobs like that, you actually want to know the revenue growth, the job growth that they – you know, they should say, I created, you know, I, this company grew 10 times its original size in the two years I ran There's it. There's no details in Got campaigns it. going <laughs> sorry, right Sorry, <away>. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I know. Sorry. My investment banking nervousness right. is coming out. I'll stop. You so go. the reality is that this company is located in the United Kingdom. So he's bringing jobs to the United Kingdom, simulating their economy. He is not doing that here. He could be doing that right now here. Right, but instead he's promising to do it instead? He's promising to do it even though he's not doing it right now. And actually he might, though, because uh, 
our government is spending, you know, doing all sorts of things to get films made here. Like they're subsidizing that industry in Atlanta. Now he's talking about a federal. His offense. films aren't getting made here. The ones that I, yeah, right, okay. because they're taking. <laughs> and place he's an executive like producer on those films. Or towards Syria, yeah. yeah. Just oh, things you put money producer. into. Yeah, yes. you're not a filmmaker when you're yeah. an executive producer. You're, you put you put money into the films. Yeah. You're the money guy. Right. Actually, the investment bankers I knew who used to do that. It was a little uh, vulgarity entered my mind. They did it because <laughs> they wanted to meet starlets. Well, that is a good reason to do it. If you're gonna do it. <laughs> That's why my cousin became a hairdresser. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To meet women, not starlets. I thought it was a clever idea. Uh, anyway, so um, I, money guys in film aren't always film guys right. in film. Go. Another interesting fact about his business yeah. is that in the same year, 2013, when he bought the business, his dad established a nonprofit foundation with an Atlanta address called uh, The World Investigates and connected it to this company that he bought in the United Kingdom, creating the illusion that he oh, might be an Atlanta business here. owner. Right. What year was that? 2013. Oh, not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, this a seat like this might have been a sparkle in their eye. One did of he, 16... This was four years ago. How? When did he work for? When did Ossoff work for Hank Johnson? He worked for Hank Johnson between the ages of twenty and twenty-five. That's another. That's wow. on my list. That's also. where he had he had highest level security clearance at the age of twenty. Because didn't he say he had five years of high level security clearance? That's when what. He for see, Hank people Johnson? think that the way that he presents the information, it makes it sound like. He had five years of experience. He doesn't overtly say five years so that he can give himself protection when somebody sure. accuses him of lying, but he frames <laughs> it in a way. This is exactly what happened with the um, somebody called him out on it, and he said it, that he didn't lie because he didn't oh. actually say. It. Oh, so he is a talent. He is obviously qualified for this job. Here's what he <laughs> He's says, a good yeah. liar. No, he didn't lie. He's a what do you call it, prevaricator? I don't know. Yeah, he said I. He's he said, a budger. I've got five years of experience as a national security staffer in the United States Congress. I held a national security clearance. That's what he said. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yes. The reality is he had five months of security clearance, right? And the reason that he got clearance was not because he was fighting corruption, you know, pulling Mm -hmm. from his uh, business. He wants to create the illusion that he fights corruption. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason that he got security clearance is because he wasn't able to go into these briefings with his boss, Hank Johnson. Oh, uh, so in order to uh, take notes in for his Hank's boss, wake, right. Right. well, Hank does need somebody sitting right next to him to write. Like this is what you say next, unless right. he say something crazy like Guam might tip over. Not to ride the guy; I'm sure he's been ridden plenty on that. But you want him to have somebody sitting right next to him, just in case he has a silly idea like that. So. Um, I hate to do this to you. I've got to take a break. So do you have, like, what is, is there um, something you just don't want to leave on the table here? Is there anything that you you need to, Here's your last? There's one about his mom and his dad here. He claims that in Congress he's going to simplify the tax burden, you know, Mm -hmm. simplify the tax code. And the problem is his dad's company makes money by teaching corporations how to maximize their operations through the tax code. 
So, oh, so the complicated it. tax code, like accountants, I always think accountants don't want to simplify tax exactly. code because their entire, you know, I always think divorce attorneys are behind the gay marriage push. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So they want the complications, and that's what you think is really, you think there, there's a conflict of interest there, or it's unlikely he Absolutely. would stab his dad in the family. I mean, it would totally undermine his father's business if he simplified the tax yeah, code. That's very interesting. I got to take a break, but we're going to wrap it up after this. Stay tuned. Uh, tweet me at. Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Mostly to partly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers or thunderstorms and a high of 84 Monday. Uh, well, I normally say it says the work week begins, but that's Memorial Day. So a lot of people have awe, but that forecast could change over the weekend. So stay tuned to WSB for weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. So we're wrapping it up. Such an interesting uh, conversation. Binkley gave me lots of good stuff about Ossoff. And I, I noticed that one of the articles I looked at this week was about Blackstone, a big private investment company, started a $100 billion fund to take advantage of new infrastructure spending. And by coincidence, I used to work for the guy who runs Blackstone, and he's a big Democrat. He was a big Obama donor. He might have been Treasury Secretary under Clinton if she had won. And he wasn't that way because he was super altruistic. I'm sure he gave to charity and all that. But people think that, uh, you know, Democrats are, like, motivated by this altruism. A lot of times they're not. A lot of times they have reasons to want big government because they are going to get put their hand in the pot. I don't know. Binkley, you gave us a lot of stuff about Ossoff um, and some of his family's business dealings. Maybe that bears digging into a little more, but we are out of time. So so you have more on this, right? How are you going to give it to us? Well, everybody can go to propagandareportdaily.com and they can yes. listen to the most recent podcast we did. I yes, we it's... did that. That's when you kind of data dumped all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of stuff. Um, okay, so propagandareportdaily.com, listen to the latest podcast, subscribe and all that. Right. And are you going to put pen to paper? Yes, I'm going to be publishing a lot of stuff about this in the next few days since the election is coming up. Okay, that's great. It is coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week. In the meanwhile, check me out on Facebook, and we continue this conversation on Twitter at Monica Perez Show.